we'll be in verses 24 through 49 this morning. Let me pray and uh, ask God to do what only God can do, and that's uh, to do, use His Word to transform our hearts. That's what we desperately need more than all things, is to be transformed into His likeness. Let me pray for us this morning. God, what a great service we've had so far. I pray, God, that we all have sent Your Spirit, and He is with us in these moments. I pray that through Your Holy Spirit that You would bring transformation to our hearts, our minds, and the way we live, God. I pray for this passage of Scripture here in Daniel chapter 2. I I pray that we would all walk out uh, seeing a godly man and his response in an evil world. And that would uh, bring conviction and challenge to us and dependence upon You. So God, be with us this morning uh, through the, the reading and teaching of Your Word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We have been off for about two weeks from the book of Daniel to give just kind of a recap about the book. We can summarize the book in this way. It's all about the sovereignty of God, which means the sovereignty of God means this, that God is in control over all things, that nothing outside uh, of, of the will of God can happen, that God is in control of it all. And so we've looked at how God took this group, uh, His chosen people, into exile. That was the sovereignty of God. God knew at the, the forefront of creation that His people would continue to rebel and turn and rebel and turn and rebel and turn. Does that not sound like you and I? And yet the sovereignty of God, God allowed and also promoted and made the exiles go into captivity. How come? To set up what we celebrated last weekend. All the Old Testament is the sovereignty of God pushing the people of God so that they would see their need for God, but also see their need for a Savior that could only come from God. And so here we're in the middle of that story. We are in the middle of the Israelites, God's chosen people. And how God had chosen Daniel to be his spokesperson in an evil world to what we'll see today, to promote Christ. Christ is in this passage. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I'm going to point that out to us this morning. But Christ is in Daniel chapter 2. But it's based off the sovereignty of God. And so here, just as a recap from two weeks ago, remember Daniel has been uh, wise and he's been placed in the courts of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the ruler over the known world, the most powerful man in the world. And yet God in his sovereignty chose Daniel and placed him there. For what purpose? We'll see this morning. But remember Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 23 are, are about these four things. Remember that there was a problem that arose And Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a wicked dream so bad he couldn't even remember his dream, if you remember that from a few weeks ago. So there's this decree that goes out that the wise men need to come to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and interpret a dream that the the king can't even remember. And so Daniel is part of the wise men, and Daniel prays to God for wisdom to discern what the king can't even remember. That's the prayer in verses 17 through 19. And then you remember Daniel's response to the prayer before he even knows what's going to happen. He praises God. There's that praise of Daniel in chapter 2. He's praising God for who God is and for God's sovereignty. 
And then we see the great provider, God provides. And here in Daniel chapter 2, now is the interpretation of that king's dream. And we'll see a few things this morning about the character and nature of Daniel, but it's the character and nature of the person of Jesus Christ here in this passage. And so let's pick up in Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. I won't read the whole passage. It's too long for us this morning, so I'll, te- I'll share a little, uh, teach a little, I'll read, teach, read, teach throughout this passage. And so the first thing that we see is Daniel and this man, Arioch. Arioch was the leader of all of the wise men of Nebuchadnezzar. So here's Daniel, he's serving uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but he's under the leadership of this wise man. And so this is what happens. Uh, Daniel knows that. Daniel knows that this man is uh, right under Nebuchadnezzar, and he has to get to this man in order to get to Nebuchadnezzar to interpret the dream. And so it says, therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, and whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men. So remember that this is the man that Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, you are going to be the man that destroys all the wise men because they can't interpret my dream. And so all of a sudden we see Daniel, and Daniel goes to the Grim Reaper, basically. I mean, that's who he's going to. He's going to the Grim Reaper, the man that has all power given to him by the king to kill all the other wise men. And he went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So here's this bold young man, Daniel, goes to the grim reaper and says, Hey, don't kill everyone. Hit the pause button. As you pause, take me to the king, and I've got the answer to what the king is looking for. And so then we pick up, and it says this. He brought Daniel before the king in haste. That, that, circle that word. Here's this, I, I've got this mental picture. Here's this man, the grim reaper, who's going to be killed himself because he's a wise man. So eventually this wise man is going to kill everyone else. And then Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill him. And so all of a sudden he says, oh, my life can be spared. And so you see that word haste. Here's this man that's trying to spare his own life and the lives of this people. It says that he hastily he brings Daniel. I, I just see like how I sometimes drag Tennyson along. I just grab her by the wrist and kind of run along and her feet are kind of dragging. Her, or like she's not like, she, like, it's like the Fred Frontstone look. Like her feet are moving, but she's not really going anywhere because I'm dragging her. That's the picture I get, that this man is grabbing this teenage boy and just kind of wrestling him into the, the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. But look what happens. Look what this man says and does. So he brings him before the king hastily and thus says, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who can make known the king and his interpretation. First off, that's a lie. So circle that in your Bible. Read that. He says, I found a man. No, this man didn't find Daniel. Daniel found this man. How often is the world like that? They take credit for what only God can take credit for. So here's this man that says, Daniel runs to him, and now all of a sudden this man is standing before the king to get credit for something that God did that he did not do. I'll imagine what Daniel was thinking in those moments. So he brings this man, I found this exile among Judah, the men who will make known the king's interpretation. I wonder what Daniel was thinking in that moment. I know what me, the sinful man, would have thought. I would have hit him upside the head and said, no, 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 no. I'm the one that found you. But yet we'll see a characteristic of Daniel that must be true for us in this wicked world. 
Because this world wants to rob us and take everything from us and then declare it as their own. That's what this man was doing. And yet Daniel said nothing. He didn't say a word. He didn't defend himself. He didn't stand up for himself. He didn't point the finger. He didn't point the finger at himself. He didn't point the finger at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said nothing. Catch that in this passage. Like Daniel didn't say anything when this man took credit for what God had done. And then it says this. Then the, the king declared to Daniel, who was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and, and its interpretation? And so all of a sudden, the whole court of Nebuchadnezzar shifts when the king says to Daniel, Daniel, can you really do this for me? All these days that have been troubling me, this dream that's been troubling me, the thing I'm losing sleep over, can you interpret the dream? And yet, what does Daniel do? You see, he could have been very defensive in that moment because the man that just tried to take credit for him, he could have said what? Yes, I can do it. Yes, I've got all the wisdom. I can do it. Yes, I've been placed here and I can do it. I'm the man that can interpret your dreams. But what do we see? We see true humility. What does Daniel say to the king? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanter, Magician, astrologer, can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. He's saying, I can't even do it. Right? He's a wise man. He's part of that wise man category. He said, no wise man, no one on this planet can do what you're asking. Not even me. True humility. And what does Daniel say? But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. And so true humility says, no, I can't, but I know who can. And I wonder for us, church, do we live with this humility? You see, this humility, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, it's the same humility that Christ Jesus had. That remember last week we shared and we talked about the resurrection and we talked about Good Friday. And in chapter 52 and 53 of Isaiah it says, He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And what does it say? He opened not his mouth at all. You see, that's Daniel's same response in this passage. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't take on uh, things that were not his to take on. He didn't say, I could do it. He said in true humility, no wise man can. But there is a God in heaven who can. And I wonder, church, do we live with that kind of humility? You see, the rest of this text doesn't matter if we can't say there is a God who can do it all. The rest of this text, it just doesn't, it's not going to really matter. And so for us, before we go anywhere, do you and I, do we the church live with true humility? Because true humility starts with us understanding what? One thing and one thing only, the sovereignty of God. You see, humility says, I'm not in control, but there is one that's in control of all things. Therefore, it's what Jared just saying with us and to us, I surrender all. And church, do we surrender all? 
to the sovereignty of God? Or are there things in our lives and are there things that we're holding on to that we think we know best and that God isn't aware of or doesn't care about or doesn't want or you fill in the blank? Do we live with complete humility under the sovereignty of God? I would say this to us. I believe, church, if we live with true humility, we would see things of God that we've never seen before. Because when we live with true humility, we step out of the way and we let God do what God wants to do without us being a distraction or being a hindrance to what His will. And so church, I wonder, I wonder for us, Powell's Chapel, is the reason is the reason that we're not seeing God's activity in our church because we're unwilling to live with true humility. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Am I willing to surrender my desires, my wants, my longings, all that I think is best for this church? Am I really willing to surrender all that, step aside and say, God, you do what only you can do and you do what you desire to do? That's what Daniel was saying in this passage. I can't do it. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not you fill in the blank enough. I can't do what you're asking, but there is a God who can and will because he's sovereign in control of all things. Do we believe that, church? So let's continue. It starts with true humility. Now, Daniel, in the next few verses is going to interpret their dream. Here's your dream and the visions that are in your head and your bed. It says, to you, O king, you lie there in your bed day after day, all the time, and he reveals the mystery made known to you what it would be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Catch that in your Bible. He did not come up with the revelation. The revelation was given to him. Through his humility. So he's saying to the king, I can't do it, God can do it. And then he goes on to interpret the dream. So he's saying, I, I don't know the dream, there is a God who knows the dream, and now we're going to go into the interpretation of the dream. And there's many scholars that debate this. Who, who are these four kingdoms? We'll talk about what it is. There's these four kingdoms that are talked about. There's tons of debate about this next passage of Scripture. I don't want to get bogged down in that piece. All that matters, it's not the who, but it, it matters the what's going to happen. It doesn't matter who it's going to happen to. We can debate that all day. But what we cannot debate is what is going to happen. That's not up for debate. That's what this passage is telling us. So we can debate all day who it's going to be about. Is it, is it Babylon? Is it Rome? Is it the Persians? Is it the Medes? Is it the, you fill in the blank. We could talk about that till we're blue in the face. But what does matter for us this morning is the what that is going to happen to these empires. The, 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 it's very clear. There will be uh, the rise in some empires and then the fall of the empires. That's what basically this next several uh, verses talk about. So he says, you saw, O king, before a great image. So here's this huge statue is what it is. This enormous statue in his dream. This image, mighty and exceeding 
brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. And now he talks about this is what you saw. You saw the head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its middle and its thighs were of brass, and its legs of iron, and its feet partially of iron and clay. And, and so here we see there's this huge image that starts with the head. The head is gold. The head is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to tell him that in this passage. So here's this massive statue. That's it. Its head is of gold. It's the best of the best. Uh, uh, it's the best it's ever going to be. It's basically what it means. When you think of gold, that's the best metal back in that day. It's the best of the best. And then it goes on to, what does it say? It goes on to talk about the, the middle, the, the chest. The chest is what? Silver. So silver is just the next precious uh, metal right under gold. And so he's saying, hey, there's this massive, massive statue. You're the head of it, King Nebuchadnezzar. You're of gold. And then what's going to happen after you, it's never going to be quite like what you've established. It's going to go from brilliant to duller and duller and duller. We see that. So we see the gold. We see the silver. What's the next part of the statue? Bronze. And so we see its brilliance is beginning to fade. All the way down to there's this mixture of, what does he say? Uh, Of clay uh, and of iron. So all the way down to the feet. Now it's a mixture. Now it's not even pure as it was at the beginning. But here's the thing that we must not miss in this passage. Though it becomes brilliant from gold all the way to iron and clay, what happens? Gold is not the most uh, durable substance on the planet. Right? Gold is pretty malleable. Gold can be bent and shaped pretty easily. And so he's saying, though you're the most expensive, you're not the most uh, demanding, if you will. He's saying that's going to come. And if we look through history, this prophecy has come true. The brilliance of that empire, the magnificence of that empire, it was great, but it it pales in comparison to what we see ruling over us now. And so though it goes from precious in cost to cheap in cost, what happens is it goes from, uh, from most least powerful to most powerful. What happens? Because iron is the thing that you use to mold clay. And so we got to see that. So he's saying all these kingdoms, they're going to look powerful, they're going to look big, but they're going to get weaker and weaker in value, but they're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger with oppression. And so that's the image. That's what's happening here. So he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, could you imagine that? Hey, you're the most powerful in the the universe at this moment. You're the most costly, but you're going to be the weakest of all. The boldness it had to take Daniel to say that. You see, again, what he says in that chapter. He he says to him about all this. As you look at the stone, then there's this stone that's going to come. We'll highlight that in your Bible, verse 34. We'll come back to that. That's going to come, not made of human hands, that will strike the image and the feet of iron and clay and break it into pieces. The iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together are broken into pieces and become like chaff. He's saying all those precious metals, all that is going to become like chaff in the wind that's just going to be blown away because of what's going to come. 
We're going to talk about that, what is going to come. So he's saying all these earthly empires are going to rise and fall and rise and fall and ultimately will be like chaff to this one kingdom that will be established. Remember that. There will be a kingdom that is established. We talked about that in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He goes on and talks about all that. There's throughout this, uh, this idea, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, he, God, is the one that established you. He, God, is the one that's going to establish all these other ones. He, God, is going to be the one that destroys them all. Again, Daniel continues to point back to the sovereignty of God. You see, we can live in this oppression today. In our world, we live somewhat oppressed, correct? But let us never forget what Romans 13 says. God established all of it. You see, we can live in this oppression through our governments, but it's been established by God. God is still sovereign. Whether you voted for Trump or for Clinton, it doesn't matter because God knew and placed who he was going to place on that throne uh, uh, several months ago. You and I, we, though we may have voted, God already knew the outcome because God in his sovereignty placed the outcome. Do we believe that? Like, whether you like Barack Obama or not, he was given to us by God. That's scary to think. But it always will always point back that God knows what's best for us. Now, whatever your political views are, that's what's best for us. Because God's established it, not man. That's what Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar. Though you think you've done all this, you really haven't. God's the one that's placed you in control of all things. And so I wonder, for you and I this morning. I wonder for us, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God's sovereign in control of all things? Because if we do, then we'll understand this next idea, this next question. The question I have for myself, I have for you is, what am I pouring my life into then? You see, like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was pouring his life into his kingdom. Like all of Nebuchadnezzar was going to make himself great and himself known. And yet was, what was Daniel pouring himself into? God. And so for you and I today, are we going to live like King Nebuchadnezzar or will we live like Daniel? Well, this leads us to these next two points. It says, then, remember, we go back. There is a rock that's coming that will destroy. In those days, the kings of God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So here's the, the image. Here's what's going on. He's saying there's this rock that's coming. This rock will destroy all other empires. It's God's rock. Who is that rock talking about? Jesus Christ. The rock is Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 1. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, God, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. So way back in Daniel chapter 2, God had a plan to set up his kingdom that would reign forever and ever and ever 
and ever. Through Christ Jesus, his son, what we celebrated last week. So God always has a plan in his sovereignty and his plan is for our good. And God is going to set up a kingdom for us. And here's how this kingdom is different than the kingdoms that were just described. Here's what God's kingdom looks like. Here's what Christ Jesus looks like. The first one is this. Here's how it's different than these four kingdoms. This is a kingdom that is indestructible. God's kingdom can never be destroyed, amen? Do we believe that, though? Do we live our lives that way, that we live in a kingdom that can never be destroyed? Or do we live frantic? Check your life. Check my life. Do I live in the security that God's in control and God's established a kingdom that can never be destroyed? Do I really believe that? That's the first thing that we see that's different than the earthly kingdoms. The second thing that we see is this. That is infallible. It is always good. It is always right. It is always righteous. It is always justice. It is always mercy. It is pure. All these other kingdoms that have ever been established have not been infallible. They have not been indestructible. They have not been good. There's been some twinge of evil in all of them. But yet there's a kingdom that's established that's infallible. Here's the next one. Now I pray this would get an amen in our hearts. It's a kingdom that is always victorious. Let me say that again. It is a kingdom that is always victorious. And if we live in that kingdom, therefore we are sons and daughters of that kingdom. Therefore we get to live in that kingdom victoriously. Do we live victorious lives? You see, it's out of living victorious lives that we say what kingdom we live in and participate in. If we really believe God's kingdom is always victorious. The last one is this. It's also universal. God's kingdom is for all people at all times. Though we are chosen people, God has chosen us out of the foundations of the world for his kingdom, and it's for everyone. Do we believe that? You see, if we believe that it's universal, then you and I would do what God's called us to do to invite other people to live in this kingdom apart from the kingdom that they live in. That's the invitation that God has given to us to invite other people into his kingdom to live in an undestructible, unfallible, victorious kingdom. But how would we not want to invite anyone into that kingdom if we don't live in that kingdom ourselves? It starts with us. Moving to the last point. This is what Daniel says in verse 26, he realizes that God is going to establish his kingdom. He realizes that in those last verses, in verses 45, in those days, the kings of the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to any other people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no man, human hands, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, 
and its interpretation is true. What Daniel's saying, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. All other kingdoms will fall to pieces because of God's great kingdom. And so now what do you and I do? We respond like Daniel responded in chapter 46, or second, Daniel 2, 46 through 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face to pay homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the revealer of mystery, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This is a side note I could preach just on this one verse. You see, we can read that line and we can hear what Nebuchadnezzar did and said. What Nebuchadnezzar said and did was true. But we can also see in the next chapter what he said and did what was true. It never was planted in his heart. And I wonder for us, church, how many of us can say and do what is right, but it's not coming out of a place of a heart. It's coming out of our minds. You see, that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. How do we know that? Because the very next chapter, chapter 3, what does it say that Nebuchadnezzar did? He built the statue he just dreamed about. And so if he really had true life transformation, then he would not have gone the next chapter and built an idol to himself. And so let's not be deceived to think, oh, Nebuchadnezzar came to know Christ and lived a victorious Christian life. No, he had the right answers and lived the right way in the moment. But he didn't live with true humility. He said, yeah, there is a God and he is it and I am it, basically is what Nebuchadnezzar did. And I wonder for us, church, how often we can say and do the right things, but our lives don't match up with what we say and do 10 minutes later. One chapter later. I could preach a whole other sermon on that. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't have true transformation. He, he might have been sorrowful for what he did, but he did not have what we call true repentance. And so what does it say? It's true your God is the God of gods and the Lord, Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you've been able to, been revealed this mystery then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over all the province of Babylon and the chief protector of all these wise men of Babylon. So all of a sudden here is Daniel promoted to the highest ranking officer in the land outside of King Nebuchadnezzar. And what does Daniel's response say that he did? He turned to his friends it's basically what it said. He turned and looked at his friends in verse 49. It says this, Daniel made a request of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the courts forever. The last thing we see is this. Daniel and his friends lived a lifestyle waiting for the rock. You see, Daniel knew that he may not see really that kingdom be established, but he knew in his heart, hey, I want other people to be a part of it. I need other people to be a part of establishing a kingdom. And so what did Daniel do in his heart? He turned to the king and says, I can't do it alone. I need my companions to help me to establish a kingdom through Christ Jesus. 
He had the intentions of the city on his heart because he served a holy God. And I wonder, church, for us, I wonder for us, do we live our lives the way Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live their lives? Do we live our lives as if there is a kingdom that will be established and we want to participate in God in establishing his kingdom? Do we live that way? Here's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. And we know Jeremiah chapter 29. We know that famous verse. We, we know it well. But there's some verses that come before that, before verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We know that verse well. But let me read the verses that come right before that. In verses, 35, uh, verses 5 and 7, it says this. We'll start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. He's saying this to the people in captivity. He's saying this to the people that he drew out of the promised land. He says this to them. The exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Built houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat of their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. Is this true for us? Powell's Chapel here in Walter Hill. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city. For I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf and its welfare, that you may find your welfare. I wonder, church, God established this church 140 years ago, not for your welfare, not for my welfare, but for the welfare of this community. Does this community know that we love and care about it? Does this community know that there's a kingdom that will be established? Does it know that from us? Does it know that? Not because we're a building, not because we have a sign, not because we've been here 140 years, but because we care about this city. We care about this community. We care about our neighbors. We care that there will be a kingdom that will be established, and God wants to use us, church, the way he used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that he took and hand-placed them in that community for his goodness and for his good. And for his peace and for his righteousness. Is that true for us, Paul's Chapel? Is that true? That we really believe that God handpicked every one of us in his sovereignty to be placed in Walter Hill for the good of Walter Hill. Not for the good of Paul's Chapel, but for the good of this city, the good of this community. You know, I've asked this question before, I'll ask it again. If for whatever reason God came and took the people of God of Powell's Chapel and took us home tonight, all of us, this whole room, this whole building, everyone in here took us home, would our community feel our absence? Because nothing else would change. There'd still be a building here. There'd still be money in a bank account here. There'd still be a bus out front here. There'd still be all those things, but the people of God would be removed from the city. Would our city know about it? Would they know that God has established a kingdom through us in this city. 
I want to read this one quote as we close. It says, if God does not control our lives, if God does not place us here, if he's not in control of all things, for in the actions of the kings and the others in position of power to the most minute circumstances, then everything in this life is uncertain. We are victims of circumstances, and whatever happens will happen. But if God is sovereign, as the Bible declares him to be, and if he is our God, if he promises he makes and takes the actions he takes for certain fulfillment, then we can be confident of the future and know that we will be able to live our lives in a way that will please God. Do we believe that? Daniel believed that. Daniel believed in the sovereignty of God. Daniel believed that God had placed him in his in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom for his purposes. Do we, church, believe that? Do we believe that this morning? That God is sovereign and in control of all things. See, I believe that God has placed us here for the good of this city. The same way that God placed Daniel in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar for the good of the kingdom. That the kingdom would be established because of what God is going to do. You see, Daniel had foresight to know that there is King Messiah coming. He will reign supreme over all things. And he wanted to be a part of that some 2,000 years before it ever happened. Do we, church, want to participate in what God is doing in this community? Because like Jared said in his song, he's going to do it with or without us. God is going to do what God wants to do with you or without you. Because he's sovereign and in control. We don't have enough power or might or strength to stop the work of God. So I would declare to us, will we live humble lives the way Daniel did and get on board with what God wants and can and desires to do in this church through this community? Let us pray. God, I pray for us this morning. I pray that we would have the heart of Daniel, who ultimately had the heart of Christ, a man of great courage and a man of true humility. God, I pray as we sit here now that there's anything in our lives that we're grasping on to and holding on to, that in this moment, God, through your divine spirit, you would speak and convict us of things that we hold on to our desires, our pleasures, our preferences. God, that we let go of all those things, and in letting go of those things, we completely surrender to you with the same understanding that Daniel had, that there is a kingdom that will be established, and Christ will rule on the throne, and you invite us to participate in that establishment. God, you are at work, and you are doing great things in our midst. I pray you'd open our eyes to see those things, and through opening our eyes, we would live a life of surrender and humility to the one who is in control of all things. Just the same words that Daniel said, no, 